Hi guys, it's Candace Kumai and welcome to the Wabi Sabi podcast, the perfectly imperfect pod for your perfectly imperfect life. What you're going to learn about is my 10 plus years in media publishing, TV production, directing, um, and also my background in modeling and culinary and my parents being immigrants and raising me differently and how the beginning of my life started from being perfectly imperfect. And what more could you ask for than honesty and somebody who's being a little more real than right now? This is the time. Don't forget to tune in Wabi Sabi, your new fave podcast. Download it on iTunes now and subscribe. Hey guys, what's up? This is exciting. So I want to introduce you to the Wabi Sabi podcast. I'm your host, Candice Kumai. And I have been waiting for this moment for my entire life. Um, I have been a wellness writer in media and publishing. I'm a former model. Uh, I pioneered the wellness space as a six-time best-selling author. I've been a magazine editor. I've been a TV show host, a show host, a writer. Um, and above and all things, I've made it look like a dream and every girl's dream from LA to California, Tokyo to Paris, and everything in between. I've also been exposed to a lot of different things in this career that you probably didn't know about. I never showed you the tough times. I never showed you the bullshit. I didn't talk about the toxic people. I didn't talk about my depression or my anxious moments, the mean bullies that have come my way, the struggles I had financially, I didn't tell you about how I could barely pay rent in Brooklyn, where I am right now shooting this pod for you, about just six years ago. Uh, and as I watch like the raindrops come down from the window here in Williamsburg, I am always kind of reminded that nothing is perfect, everything is transient, and that includes your life and my life. Wabi Sabi is a Japanese celebration of imperfection. The Japanese do look at life through a completely different lens than we do. Not all that is perfect is actually admired. We appreciate imperfection. And when I was growing up, my mother used to say things like, Candice, life cannot always be perfect, okay? Sometimes bad things are going to happen. And inevitably they do, and they have, and they will, and they can. And sometimes they make my head spin because I think, why and how is this happening to my life? And uh, that's where we welcome Wabi Sabi. My Japanese mother raised me to be resilient with resilience in endurance and understanding and acceptance and in letting go. Not everything is going to turn out the way that you planned either. And I think that is another reason why it was time to shoot this show and pod for you. While I was still learning to be resilient, I was starting to be shaped to be more humbled and to be more graceful during times of turmoil. And I'll be sharing that with you through the next few seasons of this show and the next few episodes are going to be juicy, as I call them, because that's the only way they should be. So while I work with a golden standard because of my mother, I am going to continue my legacy of being a good Japanese-American writer and journalist. And that means that I share with you 
the struggles that I have been through. I do want you to remember that I come from a professional background where in TV and publishing and media and magazines, I was not supposed to show you my true colors. I wasn't supposed to let you see me sweat. I wasn't ever supposed to tell you that I was struggling and crying and I got dumped one day before my last book, Clean Green Eats, came out. I wasn't ever supposed to tell you that keen songs made me cry and that I absolutely have days and months where I body shame myself and I struggle. And I want to let you know that I'm here now to come to the rescue and introduce wabi-sabi, the Japanese term for celebrating imperfection. So keep in mind that you're going to hear a lot of vulnerable moments over the next few months um, in recording this pod It all started from writing my book, Kintsugi Wellness, The Japanese Art of Nourishing Mind, Body, and Spirit. And what we've come out with is a incredible new way of sending you love, tips, tricks, strategies, practices, traditions. It is my job to be the messenger, and that's why we're doing this pod today. Please welcome Wabi Sabi, your perfectly imperfect podcast for your fucked up life. So first, I'm going to start off with this episode as the Wabi Sabi episode. I'm going to introduce to you a little bit about myself and my background, and you're going to see interwoven in my background the horrible things that have happened, the imperfections I've been through, and like the struggle of being a mixed kid who was raised in a predominantly white neighborhood Um, who continues to struggle as a writer and a food writer in a male-dominant space, which has been really, really tough to break through. Also, during the duration of my career, um, social media platforms popped up all over, and I was expected to walk away from writing, producing, directing, shooting, developing recipes, you know, creating content. I was expected to walk away from all that to build a thing called a following And I thought it should never be about a numbers game. It's not about this weird index finger work. It should always be about integrity and clout and the years of experience that you've put in as an artist. And so we'll be talking a lot about those struggles as we move forward. Some of the other topics will be about um, how my body imperfections and struggles are the same as yours and how... I've dealt with anxiety and depression my entire career. Um, I've also been completely dumped and and abandoned in my last relationship. And so getting over that was a huge turning point and wake-up call to the kind of person that I want to end up being with. Um, and then I also want to introduce to you guys my next endeavors that should get you excited And I'm also going to share a lot of your questions too. So on Instagram, if you DM me questions, I'll answer them on the show without any problems. So if we start from the beginning, there are um, a couple of memories I have growing up. And if you ever hear me taking a sip, it is me sipping matcha as always. Unless it's like we shoot at eight at night, which we might be doing. So I grew up in Carlsbad, California to a Polish-American father and a Japanese mother My dad came here on a boat from Poland when he was 11 years old, and he landed into Connecticut, and he grew up on the East Coast, and the family didn't have a lot of money. In fact, they only had an uncle here who brought them over, and he eventually 
brought them into the U.S. And um, it was blue-collared work from there up. My dad had to learn English really quick because he didn't have another choice. That was not easy. If you fast forward many years, my dad's super smart and sharp. He kind of looks like a mix between the dude, Jeff Bridges, the, from the Big Lebowski, and Gandalf now that he's, you know, salt and pepper man. <laughs> when he was younger, he looked like Harrison Ford. When he gets a little older, he gets drafted into the U.S. Navy during Vietnam. And if you can imagine what that was like as a young boy in your 20s, um, I can't even like describe the fear and the courage and the bravery it took for the men and women who served during Vietnam. But I, I'm going to let us really reflect on this pod a lot about the, the things that others have done for us. In Japanese, we call that the gifts through osetai. Uh, we are in a really entitled, very weird place now where we are forgetting where we came from. And as a child of immigrants, I'm going to wake us all up because I've had wake-up calls myself. We are owed absolutely nothing. And nobody is going to hand you anything on a silver platter. You will absolutely have to earn everything on your own, which is why I'm telling you about my father's story. So he serves in the U.S. military, and he, he enlists in the Navy, or he he's drafted into the Navy, if you will, because he said that if, well, if you didn't want to get slaughtered, you join the Navy. And then he went to Yokosuka, which is uh, a part of Tokyo, or very close to Tokyo, and there was this one day where him and his bros, or his sailor pals, Sorensen and, and one other guy, went to Kamakura, and they saw this really beautiful Japanese woman, and she had long, beautiful dark hair, and a beautiful, bright smile, and she's just stunning, and she had a glow to her. And uh, they asked her, you know, will you show us around? Like, we're new here. I mean, it's probably a really cool time back in the 70s. I can imagine three sailors coming up to you as a Japanese woman is probably really flattering. So the woman thinks, well, I just really wanted to practice my English with them. I didn't really know. And, of course, that woman is my mother now. So my mother says, oh, yeah, your father, he's kind of cute. And they really quickly became friends, but there are stories between them that aren't perfect, where my dad actually kind of flaked out on her the first time that they <laughs> met up solo. He, like, slept in on the Navy boat on accident, and, like, she waited for an hour at the train station, and he didn't show up. So, like, later on the regular telly, not, like, a cell phone, my dad had to apologize to her, but that's another story. I would never be here, by the way, if my dad wasn't a total devout kind of guy who went back and apologized to her for sleeping in. And I wouldn't be here if my mother wasn't an open-minded and forgiving person for understanding that he slept in. And these are just little seeds that I'm planting along the way because when you listen to this pod, you're going to learn a lot about the beautiful philanthropic altruistic relationship my parents have that's so magical. Um, I, I've never met anyone else like them. So they fall in love and they move to Connecticut and they have a Japanese wedding in Connecticut or no American wedding in Connecticut and a Japanese wedding in Japan. And the families start to meet. They have my sister in Arizona and they have me in a, 
an area called Carlsbad, California, which is predominantly white. And when I was born, um, I remember feeling different as early on as preschool. So kids like to tease and they're mean because almost everybody that I grew up with was white or Hispanic. And I was Candace Kumai, but with a Polish last name. So I also, people didn't understand that back then. And that was also a really weird identification struggle that I had since I was a kid. When they would hand you the census forms to fill out, they would ask you to check off one box. And in my head, I always thought as a child, like, why, why am I going to pick between being white or Asian when I'm exactly 50% both? And another topic you'll hear about on this podcast moving forward will be about being a mixed kid, being raised by immigrants, or maybe you're an immigrant yourself, or maybe you just feel different, like you don't fit in and you don't need to fit in. And I will talk about that quite a bit. So as I get older, I I see like the teasing is more prominent. It's not just to me, it's to everyone. Um, Kids get into fights with each other because it's like the Latinos against the black kids or it's like somebody getting beat up like it's a white kid getting beat up by the Mexicans or vice versa. And it was, it was tough. Like in um, junior high, it was hard to watch that as a mixed kid. And it was just never brought up. But it was so obvious that like kids were mean to each other because of the way that they looked. And we're still dealing with this today. So in essence, we haven't all grown up or accepted one another for who we are. And I want to preface that my mother is still Buddhist and my father is still Christian. And my father was actually raised as Catholic. So I was raised Catholic and then my sister and I chose to do our own thing when we got older and my dad converted to Christianity and my mom is super Buddhist. And so I believe that everyone can choose their own faith and we should respect that. So um, when I graduated from high school, I decided to go to Long Beach State because it was close enough to my parents and I I was so social in high school, I didn't even want to try. I just wanted to be close to mom and dad and party it up. So that, I accomplished that. Good job, Candace. Um, And I met the the best group of girlfriends there. So Christina and Tina and Kelly and Steph. Oh my God, Steph is the best. She's still my best friend to this day. um, They're all like mixed. So everybody's from somewhere else. And then there's Andy and Suzanne and a couple of my other friends that I kept through high school, um, they, everybody just kept each other alive and well. And I realized that you could be mixed and it wasn't anything different. It was just that I hadn't been raised with mixed kids. So it was really nice to see that at Long Beach State. And then after that, I decided to enroll myself into culinary school. I took a year off just to model and fit model. So when I was um, 15, I started print modeling as a kid and did small jobs here and there because I was very tall. I'm 5'8 and very uh, lanky or or used to be. I guess I'm a bit curvier now, which is what happens when you cook for a living. But it's all good. It's in the right places. <laughs> and then uh, I started fit modeling when I was in college. So at about 18, I would say, I got approached to start fitting and print modeling. So I had like three agents across LA, one in Southern California, And I ended up traveling the globe fitting. Um, And I've 
I've been a fit model for everyone from like uh, Calvin Klein Swim to Habitual to Chip and Pepper. Um, I I worked with Nikki Hilton on her private line, and even when Jessica Simpson had her own private line. Um, and I've been a fit model for tons of sportswear brands like Roxy, Quicksilver, Hurley, O'Neill, uh, Vans, Element, the skateboard companies. I was always big there. And they'd actually mold the mannequins off of my body. <clears throat> and I know that sounds a little weird, but it's true. And uh, I was 5'8 and like 120 pounds about. And that was like around the size 5 that everybody desired and wanted. So... Um, if you think you have body issues, imagine being paid to have an incredible physique for, you know, the entire duration of your college and 20s career. Um, I also uh, fit for a lot of denim companies. So that included like Seven and American Rag. And then I eventually moved into like Guess and Marciano and we did all those like hookery clothes and everyone's like, damn, Candace looks good in everything. I was like, that's right. <laughs> that's why I made the paper young. And um, I learned how to fucking hustle when I was a model. So that was the other good part about it was like, I knew how to turn an invoice. I knew how to charm a client. I knew how to be on time. I knew how to be prompt, polite, gave them everything they fucking wanted I knew how to do that shit. And for some reason, now that I'm a little older and I'm a writer and journalist in New York, I expect everybody to be like that too. And the saddest part in the world is they're not. Everyone's a fucking shithead as far as I'm concerned. So when you start young, consider yourself really lucky. I was handed like a golden ticket back in the day. So after modeling, I just realized that I'm a little bored. So (laughs) um, I've traveled the world to Hong Kong and China um, I had different factories fitting on my body out there. And, and don't forget, Fit Models also give incredible feedback. So we talk about seams and measurements, inseams, out seams, cracking seams, length, width. Um, and keep in mind also, uh, the physical portion of the job means you have to eat well and you have to exercise. And if you were a quarter of an inch off, you would get fired from your job. So let's just preface that. This is a lot of high stress. But it didn't matter because when I was in college, uh, I dated this awesome guy. He was so sweet. His name is Doug. He was like one of the best boyfriends. And he was at UCSB. And my girlfriends from Long Beach State and I used to drive up and see him and all of his friends. And we'd party and I'd cook for everyone. And we'd get super high and eat like the homemade pizza I made. One time some his roommate ate all the pizza and I cried because we didn't get it. And... <laughs> We like made the pizza and sat it out. One of his friends got so stoned. I think he ate the whole thing. But I got really attached to making everybody happy through cooking. So I knew I was good at speaking. I knew I was good at like making the crowd happy with food. And so inevitably I had to think right out of uh, college when I was just fitting. And I said, I'm going to go to culinary school. So I looked at the CIA over in New York And Hyde Park was very far from my modeling jobs. When I told my mom that I was going to go to culinary school, you better believe that she said, Hmm, okay. You can cook for your friends for fun, but you cannot cook for a living. I'm not going to pay for this. Me and your father, we paid for your undergrad already. So you can do it on your own. 
and was not supportive. And I want to lay that out because for any young girl out there that's listening to this, or you're just like somebody who wants to pursue a dream that you know your parents aren't going to be into, usually it's a form of the arts. And I don't want you to let them discourage you. Didn't matter what my mom said. I said in my heart and probably with a smize in my eyes, I'll fucking show you. So I enrolled myself at Le Cordon Bleu California School of Culinary Arts in Pasadena, California at 22 because my mom said no. And to pay for it, I had to model and hustle. And I kept all my fit modeling clients. So you better believe I woke up at five in the morning every day to get to class by six. I wore an ugly man's outfit at culinary school every day. Fucking hated it. The, those outfits that they make kids wear are hideous. And um, the clogs and the checkered pants and the coat, all hair up with a cap on. I mean, gross, like did not love that. And then, but I did love the cooking part of it. And I understand that there's like protocol, but as somebody who's very rebellious and doesn't like rules, I did not like the outfit. Did I mention I did not like the outfit? It was terrible. It was not juicy. So um, I would kick off my clogs, I'd put on my stilettos, I'd go to my fit modeling gigs, and I did everything from like wovens to outerwear to tons of swimwear, tons of activewear. It was actually Aloe Yoga's first fit model ever. And uh, fun fact, I really just like did it. I did the damn thing and I ran it like a fucking hustler. And I had no shame. I, I kept my clients... I paid my bills, I drove nice cars, I had a good apartment, I did my thing. And I don't wanna be ashamed of my success anymore because I'm, I'm so over downplaying what I've earned on my own. I don't come from money and I don't come from rich parents, I don't come from fame. I come from a thing called hard fucking work and immigrant parents who laid it out and said, if you work hard and you focus and do your best, you will make something of yourself because there's no denying that when you're so fucking good at what you do, people just can't take their eyes off of you. So culinary school was great. Moving forward at 23 during culinary school, I got, I was studying for an intro two class. I'm studying on a piece of paper. I crumple it up. And when I'm done taking an intro two test, I opened the paper back up and I was like, wait a minute, what is this? And it was seriously a audition for Top Chef. It said from the producers of Bravo with Bravo's logo on it, um, comes a new show Top Chef. And nobody knows what that is. I'm 23, living in an apartment in Pasadena, like dating rando guys probably in LA or seeing my friends still in LA and San Diego and Orange County. And, and I just was like, should I go to this? And they're like, hell yeah, you're going to go to this. So I was on the first season of Top Chef. People were not nice to me. They were extremely rude and crazy. I was like, my God, do you guys really want to drink this much? I was the youngest person in the house who legally could just start drinking at 22, 23. And I stayed away from the bottle because I was, I was shocked that people wanted to get that lit that quickly. And I was kind of embarrassed for them too. Um, and one guy in particular is really, really, really nasty to me. I don't know what his deal was, but I do want to also say that in Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements, nothing anybody ever says about you or to you is about you. It is about them. He had some weird thing. That was on him. 
Hi, Stephen. I hope you're doing well. So moving forward, um, I had a lot of different outlets approach me and say, you know, you've got such a great thing going for you. You, you should consider working, um, in TV and publishing and lo and behold, push back a few years later. Um, I started cooking on the line. I made no money. Um, I had like burns all over my arms. I smelled like tempura when I got home. I worked hard and I worked under Chef Curtis at Roy's in downtown LA. And then I worked um, at the Laguna Beach Ritz Carlton under Chef Rob Wilson, who I love. And they're both great mentors. So I get called to become a host at HSN at 25. So I flew from LA to Florida and took the gig. I sold everything to everyone and fucking hoed it out rode that and did well. I mean, when you know you're good at something and you're a natural, there's no stopping you until another show calls. And that was Cook Yourself Thin on Lifetime. And that was a game changer for me, not only because I was the, out of like the hundreds of women they looked at, and then like it went down to 10, five, three, and then I got taken off the show. Nobody knows this, but uh, Lifetime said I was too cool and too pretty and too thin to show women how to cook. And as like a 26-year-old at the time, I was fucking ruined. So what I did was I decided um, I'm going to go surf my brains out in Tonga with my boyfriend at the time to get away from this and fuck everyone. So we did that. We got um, our surfboards ready and we went surfing in Tonga. My agent at the time, Joe Labraccio, calls me when we're out there. And this is like nine months later, something like that. Um, and he's like, yo, dude, um, the network called and they said they made a horrible mistake and that you are supposed to be on this show. And I was like, Joe, this is so not funny. And I'm in a bikini with my surfboards. I remember I had like sunscreen all over my face, like Jungle Woman. And I looked at my boyfriend at the time. I'm like, you can stay, but I have to fly back apparently because this is really happening. So I, I packed up my bags and I head back to um, the city. And um, when I got to New York, I was shooting Cook Yourself Thin. We wrote a compilation uh, book together that was a New York Times number one bestseller. Um, one of my co-hosts was so nasty to me. The other one was absolutely lovely. It was just hard to watch the drama behind the scenes as a young girl. I just always, I took a lot of notes and I was very quiet too because I knew that like, I never wanted other women to feel the way that I felt. Like I, I would never be nasty to another co-host because like how uncomfortable is that? First of all, that like I have to be nice to you. There was a, a girl on a, a series that I shot for Discovery for many years for TLC. The makeup artist was horrible to me. Every morning I dreaded having to sit in her chair for an hour. And again, as Don Miguel Ruiz says, it's never about you. It's about them. Like at the end of the day, she could have done anything to try to destroy me. And it would never be about me at the end of the day. And I wholeheartedly believe the universe takes notes. And just like we're saying, wabi-sabi, nothing's perfect. It never will be. I gave you my best because that's what I was taught to show you. But now is the time to be a little bit more real. So in looking back, you can see my parents meeting for the first time, Wabi Sabi. The shows that I was shooting on, Wabi Sabi. The relationships I've had, Wabi Sabi. 
The view behind me, which was supposed to be absolutely fucking stunning. Wabi sabi. Very upset about it today. Can't do shit about it. So moving on from it. Once I hit New York and I knew that we had a great book and I had producers and directors hinting to me, like, you're very good on camera, you're good at writing, you should consider writing more recipes for a living and writing more. So I took that to heart as a young gunner. And at 26, 27, I started writing more books. And at this time, um, I stopped shooting Cook Yourself Thin. Uh, We moved back to L.A., My boyfriend and I broke up uh, the day after I flew in. We went surfing and we didn't even make it to the waves. Before we got to the water, we, I had sort of mentioned that I I thought that we needed to talk and uh, those are never easy. It doesn't matter what side you're on, but breakups suck. We had grown apart. There's a lot of bad stuff going on and in another episode, I'll tell you all about it. But uh, my relationship ended. I moved into my own apartment in Hermosa Beach, California. The show that I was on folded. It did not get renewed, even though it did phenomenal. Uh, Lifetime got bought out by A&E, and, and things change at networks constantly, which is why mainstream TV sucks. And uh, I became a fit model again. <laughs> so I had a lot of success with books and TV and New York and all over the world, but then I went back to fitting. And I just couldn't stand bit modeling anymore. And very quickly I realized my bank account drained. My other co-hosts were getting book deals. And I said, wait a minute, if I'm, they're getting a book deal, I need to get a book deal. And before I get a book deal, I need to get an agent. So I had these, I had a great friend who um, worked at Buna Murray, a production company in LA. And he introduced me to this awesome agent, um, Josh. And they were like, okay, we'll take Candace for a meeting. And predominantly, I only got the meeting at a big agency because I was already on a network series and had been for a while. So um, it's hard getting signed with a good agency, but it is so important to get a good agent and a good team around you. So I remembered before my meeting with them, I was like 26, 27. I held up two dresses to my friends and one was conservative and one was like striped black and white and green. And I was like, which one do I wear? And they all said the conservative one. I'm like, all right, great. I'm going to wear the striped one, the edgy one. So I never really listened to anybody anyways. I just like getting feedback. I take the meeting. It's so great. They think I brought lingerie and cookies and cupcakes. I really just brought aprons that I used to make out of lace. And they signed me in LA and then I met the team in New York and then it was on. And I've been with the same agency now for um, almost a decade. And very proudly, we've done a lot of incredible work together. And no, wabi-sabi, it has not been perfect. We'll get into that. I fell in love with writing. My book agent at the agency told me, Candace, you can't get a cookbook unless you have your own TV show. And I said, well, that's kind of fucked up because my co-hosts are getting cookbooks right now. And he's like, well, if they're getting cookbooks, then you're going to get a damn cookbook. So it took a few weeks for me to push my literary agent at the time into letting me write and to pitch a book. But I had this really cute idea and it was called Skinny Waist Fat Wallet. And that was the real name of it. And I ended up getting 10 meetings at the Big Ten in New York. We hustled all around town all day, charming the pants off everyone. And then finally, um, I got two offers. One, I believe, from... Well, they were from two big uh, publishers and this amazing woman named Pam Krause just saw this light in me and was like, this chick is 
going to be a somebody. And she has a good eye for spotting talent. I got very lucky with my first book. Skinny Waist Fat Wallet got on to sign um, into a new book, and we called it Pretty Delicious, which some of you probably remember. It was my first solo cookbook I did on my own with Rodale, very proudly. And uh, I just had a dream team surrounding me at 26. I was like, who, who gets this? Of course, we write this incredible book together. It does well. Uh, everyone's happy. We're moving forward. I get signed on to do more books. And of course, like life as I was writing Pretty Delicious wasn't perfect. My life fell apart. There was no more money coming in. I had no more jobs because I just had to focus on writing the book. I went broke. And I had to move home to my parents' house. So my dad came in a U-Haul one day and drove me from Hermosa Beach to Carlsbad. And I had no job at this point at about 26, 27. My boyfriend and I had broken up. We were in that weird psycho phase of like he kept trying to reach out and be crazy. And I was like, my friends were like, don't talk to him anymore. I know you guys know what that's like because it is so horrible, especially when you're really young and you don't know any better. So, um, I said, I'm going to live here for only a year. Cause my mom and I were at each other's throats. She thought I was a complete loser for not having a job at 26, 27. And I didn't want to be there because I loved champagne and going out and it was, it was different, but it helped me to save and get back on my feet. And a lot of you guys don't know that. Like, yeah, for a whole year of my life, I had to go back and write pretty delicious at mom and dad's house. It was crazy. I always had to wake up super early to be on New York time to work with my editorial team. I flew back and forth to do the shoot, the art direction, the prop styling. Um, I worked my fucking ass off and I never told you about it because I didn't want you to see me sweat. And then promotions came and the new books came and uh, gosh, I started writing for all the magazines. I got called to host a show um, for Lifetime and Discovery, which is where that nasty makeup artist was. We shot for a show called Home Simple for TLC all over the nation. So at this point, you heard I've lived in Florida, Cali, and I also lived in like Seattle and parts of Texas for this show. I saved up enough money to one day in September 2010, move out of my parents' house and move to New York City. And that's where I'm going to leave you lingering because this is a really juicy part of my life. It was certainly not perfect and it is super fucked up. And I can't wait to tell you the next steps of what happens after I'm in New York City. Um, a lot of juiciness up and down and all kinds of perfectly imperfect things that led me to where I am now. So now it's time for a section called Instagram questions. Have you ever experienced boredom? No, not really. Because <laughs> there's always something to do. I I find myself um, always trying to reinvent. I listen to a lot of music. I write a lot. I have a cute cat. I have great friends. And I, I keep myself predominantly busy when I have time to do nothing, which is it very rarely happens. I'll either go on a trip somewhere to re, to just reset my entire point of view and mindset, or I'll um, I'll spend time like if it's late at night, like I'll take a bath and use um, Epsom salt and lavender, and <clears throat> sometimes I'll watch like I don't know Real Housewives or 
Uh, Shark Tank's really fun to watch. I cook delicious vegan food for myself and I go out and buy like flowers and plants and make matcha. That's it. Maybe that's why I'm single. Okay. So we'll read another one of these. Juicy. I would ask you about how we as biracial women show up on more spaces, how to get more attention on the interesting life of biracial women and how to straddle those two cultures at once. Okay, this is great. This is from small underscore eats. So what I love about this is one of the reasons why I wanted to start the Wabi Sabi pod was because I grew up with two completely different backgrounds, races, uh, religions, and also not everything was perfect. Everyone's got crazy people in their family and everyone's got ups and downs. Um, this is this has been an experience. And I think the way that we show and share more about being biracial is we talk about it. We share it. We tell our stories. We become brave women and we speak out. And it doesn't mean an entitled everyone look at me sharing. I wrote Kintsugi Wellness, my new book, the Japanese art of nourishing my body spirit, plugging it now, please buy it on Amazon. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Actually, it's like my baby. I wrote it with my mom because we didn't have a perfect relationship and her being full Japanese and me being half. Um, it's so interesting. We make race a thing and it doesn't have to be a thing. We should rather look at the person and their heart and who they are and what they have to offer the world blindly with no judgment, but we can definitely talk about how different perspectives and outlooks from different races and religions and cultures can help one another. Like I am fascinated by Ayurveda. I'm planning on going to um, Italy, Spain, Portugal soon for work. Um, and maybe even the Czech Republic, Saudi Arabia, Taiwan, China, these are all places where they picked up the new book to Poland, where my father's ancestors are from. We can celebrate each other. That's what we can do to start getting more attention for biracial women in the industry. Um, okay, so moving forward, I would like to give you a little bit of advice from my Japanese mother. Uh, when I'm having a tough day, I sometimes think about her and we'll have these great conversations and she'll say, you know, Candice, life is not perfect forever, as we know. You sometimes, you are really hard on yourself, but having the confidence to do what you do, you know you are good, and you can have the confidence more. And one of the best recent stories is going to Cali, and I just wanted to, like, get some local Cali weed now that it was legal, and I grew up there, so it's like, yeah, like, how fun would it be to, like, go to a dispensary or have a delivery. Couldn't find the dispensary. So I was like, I'm going to get a delivery. And mom goes, you are not going to have that delivered to my house. Mm -mm, this is not happening, George. So mom is very against all of that kind of stuff. The greenery, if you will. And mom also says things about me and my sister. Like my sister and I are, are very different. She runs her own cycling shop in London and she is a badass motherfucker. And um, I love her. We're great, but we are not best friends. And I want to let all of you know that it's okay to not be besties with your sibling. Like, what is up? Like, why do we have to like, are you guys close? Are you guys close? Are you guys close? No, we're not fucking close. She lives in London and I'm in New York. 
<laughs> and my mom will help me to accept what I cannot accept on my own. Candice, you and your sister, she always doing her kind of own thing. She's busy. And like I'm not. All right, mom. Well, she can still call me a little more. And she's like, well, you know how Jenny is. She does what she wants to do. And you can too, okay? Me and your father, we are not very social. And you are kind of like a social type. And you are very good at the being social. And I think what I've learned from my mom is to accept what I cannot change, uh, which is really moving on from it. Shikata ga nai is a practice we use in Japanese for that. So today I want you to take with you shikata ga nai. It cannot be helped. Me accepting that not everybody is super social and wants to talk all the time has definitely been a great lesson. And I've learned so much more about myself over the years by spending a lot of alone time. What we're going to get into for the next few episodes will be everything from my breakups to what made me stronger to being a mixed kid or just like the resilience and endurance of life and the ups and downs when you lose jobs, when you have no money, when you come from no money, and when you're just struggling. I'm here for you, and I always will be. Don't forget to check out my book, Kintsugi Wellness, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, in case you forgot how to spell wellness. Um, I'm Candice Kumai, the author, C-A-N-D-I-C-E-K-U-M-A-I. Please send me a comment on Instagram on my latest post. I'm at Candice Kumai, C-A-N-D-I-C-E, K-U-M as in Mary, A-I. And if you like this show, don't forget to subscribe and also check out my YouTube channel and subscribe there as well. You can see a visual of this show and how juicy I look. I told you I look good. All right. I love you guys. Peace. And can't wait to get real with you and get down. I'll see you until next time. Don't forget, wabi-sabi, wabi-sabi, shikata kanai.